Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Now, I know it's going to be really difficult for this year's divisional round to top the chaos of last year's divisional round. That doesn't mean that you can't bet on all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for this divisional playoff when you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook. If you use our code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, with the link in the description to this episode, you can can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, yo. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Monday, January 23rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. It's actually January 22nd, according to my count, but by the time you're listening to this, it'll be Monday, January 23rd, so we appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever it is that you may be stopping in. If you want some talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars versus Kansas City, we got it set up on Wired Up. If you want talk about Cowboys versus 49ers, the final game of the divisional playoff weekend, you'll wait until Tuesday to get our thoughts about the game. Why? Because we're recording this right now in the end of the fourth quarter of Cincinnati versus Buffalo because it's Lunar New Year. I'm going to go celebrate Lunar New Year in between the Cowboys and 49ers game. So I'm not going to be able to sit down and record to know what happened at the end of that game. What we've got for you here on NFL Monday is Bengals versus Bills. Boy, we've got a lot to come to cover in that game even though the game itself wasn't that interesting. We've got a whole lot of I guess a eulogy of the Buffalo Bills I was not prepared to make at this point in the season. There's just a lot of ground to cover. We'll get to that game in a second. We're also going to talk about the Giants and Eagles, which was an absolute rout. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end of the NFL Monday show, about 20 minutes, about 10 on the Eagles, 10 on the Giants, kind of mixed it up there, but there's not a whole lot to dissect from that game. It was a 38-7 route, and as our friend Ryan Nanny says, go birds! So, let's start off talking about Buffalo and Cincinnati, and I know the Bengals were the victors. And I know the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the AFC Championship for the second year in a row. And this year, they legitimately got to the AFC Championship. Because last year, they were the fourth, fifth best team in the AFC. They would not have qualified for potentially the playoffs if Lamar Jackson doesn't get hurt in Week 13 of last season. And they make an improbable Super Bowl run thanks to good breaks on the schedule of not having to play Buffalo and Kansas City throwing up on themselves and everything that happened last year with Cincinnati. But the Bengals legitimately got to the to the AFC Championship this year and they dominated the Buffalo Bills. Again, they had scoring drives in this football game that went and this is the this is the best I can give the Bengals cuz we'll have a whole week to break down Cincinnati with friends of the show and everything else but the Cincinnati Bengals Blake Jude's stripe hype Cincinnati Bengals they had a touchdown drive to start the game that was 3 minutes long then they had a touchdown drive that went 10 plays 72 yards 6 minutes and by the end of the first quarter they were up 14-0 then they had a 14 play 6 minute touchdown drive where Jamar Chase caught the touchdown then didn't catch the touchdown, and I have no idea how they were able to overturn it on replay, but basically should have been a touchdown drive that was six minutes long, and then they had a touchdown drive that was 12 plays, 75 yards, seven minutes long. So they had touchdown drives of 
3 minutes, 6.15, 5.36, and then a field goal drive to seal the game off that was four minutes long. So they had scoring drives in this game of three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, and seven minutes if you want to round the different numbers. That's pretty much dominating the Buffalo offense every way, or the Buffalo defense any way you want. If they could pull that off in that game, they basically could do whatever they want. They outgained Buffalo at this point in the game. There's still uh, seven minutes left, so I think we're entering garbage time at this point. Entering garbage time, they have outscored Buffalo by 130 yards of offense. Joe Burrow put together a passer rating of 101.9, which is the best of the weekend other than Patrick Mahomes. And, well, Jalen Hurts... Jalen Hurts was complicated, but we'll say Jalen Hurts broke the number. And Cincinnati was impeccable. Joe Mixon in the passing game and the running game was a big deal for them. Hayden Hurst and Jamar Chase each had five catches and a touchdown and 60 yards receiving. It was just an absolute boat race by Cincinnati on offense. So the Bengals, we're going to have all week to talk about you. If you make it to the Super Bowl again, we're going to have even more time to talk about you. Just such an interesting game on your part. So congratulations on making it to the AFC Championship game. Blake Jude's probably going to Kansas City for that game. Hopefully we'll get to talk to him sometime over the next week. And if not, He's going to have a wonderful, wonderful time watching his Bengals take on Kansas City for the second year in a row in the AFC Championship game. And again, we're going to have more good Cincinnati talk coming up later. Now, we got to do Buffalo Bills talk because I've got so much to say about the Buffalo Bills, who were the team that I was the most excited about this year. This was their best chance to catch Kansas City. Their roster on paper was more talented than any in the league. We got so excited about Buffalo versus Kansas City that we made this beautiful parody song set to Lil Nas X's Sun Goes Down. It's one of my favorite pieces of work we've ever done and I thought it would carry us through the season because Buffalo was the best team in the NFL and now they've gone home in the divisional round for the second year in a row. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties, you keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023 Oh, I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I just wanna dive Send me the call And I'll throw the ball I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I'm just gonna dive Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game.
Buffalo! Buffalo! This was the year! The good news is 2023 can technically be next year too, but Buffalo, this was your best chance to win a Super Bowl. This was it. You had the most talented roster in football. We pulled up the, the um, SRS statistic from Pro Football Reference, which analyzes what your point spread would be if you played a league average opponent on a neutral field. Buffalo was a 10-point favorite. The next closest team was a 7-point favorite. Buffalo had an expected win-loss record two games better than any other team in the NFL. Of their three losses this season, you didn't lose by more than one possession. And in every game other than the Jets, which is kind of a funny sentence to say, in every game other than the Jets game, you should have won. They should have beat the Miami Dolphins. They clearly should have beat the Minnesota Vikings. They should have been 15-1, and the number one seed going into the playoffs. They shouldn't have had to play against Cincinnati in the pouring snow. They should have had to play against Jacksonville in the pouring snow. And they probably could have beat Jacksonville in the pouring snow. This is Buffalo's best chance to win a championship, and now it is gone. And the reason this is Buffalo's best chance at winning a championship is because this is what they've built up towards ever since they got blown out in the AFC Championship game in 2020 when they found out that they do in fact have a franchise quarterback worthy of making $45 million a year. What they were building up towards was tinkering the roster, adding to the roster in such a way that they could support him with one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And they hit on so many good moves, whether it's Milano, whether it's Ed Oliver and his development, whether it's bringing in Vaughn Miller, whether it's drafting Gregory Rousseau. They've done so much to try and build up that team. Gabe Davis's development was an incredible an incredibly unexpected development last year when he had four touchdowns in a playoff game and became their true wide receiver too. Everything they had been building up to was this point, and we knew at the start of the year they had the most talented roster in the NFL, and they showed they had the most talented roster in the NFL, and if not, as we talked about back in uh, November... Those two one-score games that you flipped, the Dolphins game, which we went through the game script, and the Vikings game, which took like three BS plays for them to lose that one. If they win just only one, or if they lose only just one of those games, they get the number one seed that they probably deserved based on paper, how good they are. And so for Buffalo to lose at this stage and where they obviously weren't playing their best football we had seen that going back to the Miami game we had seen that at the end of the regular season obviously everything that happened with DeMar Hamlin put them on pause for about a week and a half like we knew even before the DeMar Hamlin game Buffalo was not playing their best football and yet they were still so good and the entire purpose of the regular they had done all the regular season awards like they had done the MVPs they had done the get the best record they'd won the divisions the the entire construct of the regular season for Buffalo was to get to the playoffs healthy and they did kind of okay with that. Obviously, they don't have Von Miller, who is their $20 million addition for this exact moment. But ultimately, they did kind of okay in staying healthy to get to the playoffs. I mean, all of their, their secondary and linebacking core got some injuries. Ultimately, they didn't do that bad at keeping everyone healthy. And to get to this point and to just play so poorly was genuinely shocking like it was it was wild to watch that game where they played so poorly and it's not like they didn't turn the ball over they just kept throwing incompletions it wasn't like the Dolphins game where their offense is roaring and they're giving it back it was just incomplete pass incomplete pass the running game that had been eighth in the NFL during the second half of the season the one thing that they had turned on a dime was hey, we're going to really emphasize the running game. And, you know, offensive line is often a byproduct of running game, but they also traded Zach Moss for Naheem Hines, got James Cook more involved in the offense. He was a draft pick from last year, and you know those draft picks are a premium for a team spending so much money on key positions. To get to this point 
and for the running game to just evaporate was incredibly disappointing to watch. I mean, Devin Singletary and James Cook finished with 11 carries for 38 yards. It's an average of five, of 3.4 yards per carry on 11 carries. And by the way, we learned this the last couple years in the playoff, whether it was the Baltimore game in 2020, the uh, playoff game against Kansas City last year, the playoff game against the Colts in 2020. Um, I forgot who they played in the wild card last year. Um, but basically, what we've learned about from Buffalo is you can survive. Oh, the 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 New England game where they didn't uh, literally New England did not stop them from scoring one time. Like even if your running game is not good which Razor Rosenthal's been bemoaning it, and I can't understand why Buffalo hasn't had a good running game with all the talent on the offensive line, the skill of that quarterback. Even if they don't have good running game, they have Josh Allen, and he's your number one running back. And even Josh Allen couldn't do anything. When they were going down and scoring the field goal drive, uh, it was like a seven-minute long field goal drive. They ran 12 plays, I want to say. Um, and they ended up kicking the field goal to make it, I believe at the time, 17-10. This was uh, early in the third quarter. I believe it was actually the first drive of the third quarter. It was a seven-minute drive that took up half the third quarter, and Buffalo ended up kicking a field goal. On that drive, they ran a three-play sequence where it was run to Josh Allen, run to Josh Allen, then a design run for Josh Allen on third and two, and they picked up the first down. And if the game plan is like, we're going to keep our defense off the field by controlling time of possession, that's a great way to do it. Just have Josh Allen run, Josh Allen run. All season, I'm like, yes, you protect Josh Allen. You can't have him be Cam Newton because you need to protect his health for the playoff. And then they got to the playoff and just nothing with Josh Allen. I mean, obviously, Allen's going to get credit for the rush touchdown on the QB sneak that was like a half yard out. But, like, if you take away the three plays they ran on that drive and the QB sneak that ended up scoring for Josh Allen, that's four total carries on the game for Josh Allen. Outside of the three plays where they actually used him effectively, which was on one drive, it was the first drive of the second quarter, and they used him on on that drive and the touchdown run. Other than that, it was four total carries for Josh Allen. Obviously, they were down 14-0 and the game plan changes, but the game plan shouldn't change. Like, offensively, if you can't run the football, start running the football with Josh Allen. Because when they were trying to throw the ball, the Bengals just dropped back into coverage. Whether it was Von Bell, whether it was Jermaine Pratt, whether it was Hinton, like, they just dropped back into coverage. They knew what was coming, and snow or no snow, it w- they just couldn't do anything passing the football. Stephon Diggs, four catches for 35 yards on the game. Gabe Davis, two catches for 34 yards, including the bomb pass that hit his hands and the Bengals defender. I, I wish I could give credit to who it was, made an awesome play to tip it and then knock it out of his arm mid-stride. Like, you're just watching this, and it's so it's so bad on offense. <laughs> Buffalo's offense looks so bad, and I couldn't believe that the offense played so badly. By the way, I said they didn't turn the ball over. I just watching the end of the game, Josh Allen threw an interception in garbage time to close out the game. And now the Bengals are just kneeing out the clock and doing their backflips in the end zone. So technically he did throw an interception at the end, but you know, garbage time, a punt interception. I'm not really holding that against Josh Allen. You can hold up everything that happened before that. I just couldn't believe that they, they just totally abandoned everything they did once they got down 7-0. When the Bengals got the ball to start the game, and in three minutes they went down and scored a touchdown, and then Buffalo went three and out, and then the Bengals got the ball, punted back to Buffalo, then they went three and out again. And it was almost a fumble also by Josh Allen in there. I know the fumble ended up being ruled uh, down before it happened, but man, it was bad. Like, they just abandoned everything they were doing on offense after that. And, again, they scored 10 points pretty easily after that, but it was seven-minute drive, seven-and-a-half-minute drive to start the second quarter that ended up scoring the touchdown. Things are looking great. You're going back to what you're doing on offense. After that, it was punt the ball from the 41-yard line, come out a half, seven-and-a-half-minute-long field goal drive where other than getting Josh Allen involved in the running game, they weren't doing anything right, anything right on the offensive side of the ball. So you get 
Allen running the football there. Um, they, I don't think they had a play longer than 15 yards on that entire drive. Like it was one of them Vic Fangio drives coming out of the half. And that's not the worst thing in the world. It's just if it ends in a field goal, you're not going to be able to win that game against even league average opponents. And like I said, the Bengals offense went three yard touchdown drive, or sorry, three minute touchdown drive, four minute touch, four minute field goal drive, five minute touchdown drive, six minute touchdown drive, seven minute touchdown drive, or seven minute field goal drive. Like the Bengals had five scoring drives, all of varying time and distance. Like you, you can't win with the Vic Fangio offense running against that. So again, Buffalo held the ball for 15 minutes, turned it into 10 points on two drives. And after that, they just had nothing left, nothing left. There were plays where I'm so used to watching Josh Allen hit Stephon Diggs over the middle. And it was just overthrow threw it too far to the right. I don't know how much of that was Josh Allen's bloody arm. I don't know how much of that was the snow. I mean, the Bengals, the Bengals didn't run a whole lot of deep passes except for a couple to Jamar Chase. And I mean, it was, it was rough. It was, I, Vic Fangio offense is one of the, the deepest insults I can pull out of my bag for what it was. Like it was bad for Buffalo. It was bad on offense. And part of that is, again, disappointment in like the whole point of the season was to get to this game. And, you know, snow aside, like affecting the performance of Buffalo and ability to throw it down the field, like snow part of it aside, just the offense looking so bad at the end of the season for this Buffalo team just leaves me feeling so disappointed on their behalf because again I watch so much Buffalo football they've been so much fun Josh Allen Stephon Diggs have been so much fun over the past two to three seasons and I would have loved to watch them play one more matchup against Kansas City when they had the best chance to beat them and man for it to end like that was brutal was brutal because it wasn't like they just got beat like they played poorly and like I'm not even a Buffalo fan or anything like that I'm just amazed to watch that be the outcome of that Buffalo season so looking ahead for Buffalo at this point real quick because I feel like I've I feel like I've run through everything that happened in this game specifically but just looking at Buffalo's future The reason this season was so important for them and this was their best chance to win the championship is because Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs were still only making $25 million combined against the salary cap. This was Diggs coming off his uh, second contract with Minnesota that he was still under contract for for three years. Josh Allen's fifth year option was this year, so his was only about... Uh, $18 million, not all of it against the salary cap because of how the the salary cap used to work when Josh Allen was drafted with fifth round options. So Josh Allen coming out of that fifth year option is now on his long-term contract. And that contract's going to get higher as time goes on and the guarantees can get reworked. But for the most part, let's assume that they go from making $25 million this year to next year making $51 million against the salary cap. It's going to be about 24 for Stephon Diggs and about 26 to 27 for Josh Allen on the first year of his new contract. And so this is where it changes for Buffalo is those players no longer come at a value. Josh Allen is going to be the uh, fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL next season. And regardless of whether you think Allen's number two, number three, number four, like just he's one of the five highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. He's no longer a value player for the Buffalo Bills. Stephon Diggs is no longer a value player because he's going to be the third highest paid wide receiver in the NFL next year only against the salary cap, only behind Tyreek Hill and uh, Devontae Adams. And so regardless of how you feel about Diggs being the third, fourth, or fifth, he's not bringing you value anymore. So where are you going to find value in other places? Because having Allen and Diggs on value allows you to go out and give Von Miller $20 million a year, which is more than Von Miller is worth. It makes you able to go out and get more 
it, it's able to make you to have you sign guys like Jerry Hughes to have you sign offensive linemen to long-term contracts where are you going to find the value from this point forward because over the next couple of years a couple of those players aren't going to be able to be retained you're going to have to make those personnel decisions and really this is an off-season conversation for Buffalo so I'm not going to dive too deeply into it right now the Bills find themselves in a situation where they got to find ways to find value and that's something that some teams are really good at I mean even the Patriots it took them a while to kind of recalibrate and figure out where they could get value around Tom Brady who was still giving them value but having the players from the 2004 team no longer be at value. So it's just it's just a changing game for Buffalo, and the Bills are going to have to make some difficult, difficult decisions in order to balance out this roster and I bet you a couple of the players on this team aren't going to be on the team next year and that's not better that's not better or for worse like Kansas City got rid of Tariq Hill, Taran Matthew, Daniel Sorensen all in the same offseason I'm forgetting one player every time I keep forgetting who the other player they they lost this offseason was but they got rid of four players oh uh Traverius Ward he went and signed with uh, the 49ers Kansas City lost Traverius Ward, Daniel Sorensen, Terran Matthew, and Tariq Hill. Like, fundamental pieces of all four AFC Championship runs last year. That's where Buffalo is right now. They're like the one-year backwards timeline from Kansas City because of when Josh Allen developed into the star, because of how his... Because he's drafted one year after Patrick Mahomes. So his contract goes into effect... Stephon Diggs' new contract goes into effect. And so the same way that the core pieces of the last four-year run for Kansas City left in one offseason, Buffalo's going to have that happen over the next two years. And it's going to put them in a situation where they have to figure out where to find value in the same way that Kansas City was forced to find value after losing Daniel Sorensen, Tariq Hill, Traverius Ward, and Terran Matthew. And the way they did that is like, hey, Jalen Watson, Trent McDuffie, we talked about it yesterday on Wired Up. Defense is young and opportunistic, but they're young in the bad way. Like, this is a recalibration that's going to take a couple years. Buffalo's in the same camp where they know the fundamental pieces of the team. They're all making lots of money. We've known they've been the key pieces for three to five years, and now they have to make some choices around the periphery and try and find value in places where they previously weren't getting value. And so it's going to be really, really interesting to watch the decision-making that Buffalo undertakes over the next couple years. And that starts as early as this offseason. An offseason that I did not think was coming this soon for Buffalo, and yet here we are, losing to the Bengals, and a second year in a row getting dropped in the divisional playoff. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023 Oh, I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I just wanna dive Send me the call And I'll throw the ball I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I'm just gonna dive Send me the call, 
And I'll throw the ball, you throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs. And to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes. And take the Bills to the big game. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and I mean, it's early in the week, obviously, but 70% of the, the bets against the spread are Giants plus seven and a half. So they are certainly hedging at this point on Philadelphia. I, I am uh, with you on Philadelphia. I, I said this on I said this on Monday. I think Philadelphia is going to score 40 points in that game. And 40 points in a playoff game is really hard to pull off. I just... I see no way the Giants are going to be able to stop that offense moving up and down the field on them over and over and over again. All right, everybody. Usually I don't like keeping receipts. I don't really care whether I'm right or wrong, but every now and then I hit the football analysis exactly correct. And I feel really, really good about myself because I hit the football analysis exactly correct. Do you remember last year we had a clip that was loud right about the Tennessee Titans? We have a loud right about Kansas City when I was yelling, Kansas City's going to win the AFC West. They're going to have the number one seed. They have the greatest quarterback ever and the greatest offensive coach in NFL history. Trust me, bet on red and double down. When I'm right about stuff, sometimes I get a little overexcited. I got a little overexcited this weekend about being right about the Philadelphia Eagles. Go Birds! As you heard me say on Monday, or sorry, on Tuesday with Morgan from Australia. We recorded it Monday, but Tuesday with Morgan from Australia and Friday with Razor Rosenthal, which was recorded on Wednesday. You heard me say the Philadelphia Eagles were going to drop 40 points on the New York Giants. And they didn't quite get to 40. So sorry, they didn't quite get to 40. They only scored 38 and had 28 points at halftime. And with a four-touchdown lead, they kind of just went into, we don't really care anymore. They pulled the starters at the end of the game. In a playoff game, the Philadelphia Eagles whooped dat ass. Go Birds! Shout out Ryan Nanny. The Eagles whooped dat ass of the New York Giants and I knew the ass whooping was coming I told you the Eagles were going to score 40 points in that game and I knew that this was the exact outcome that was on its way because remember all season we were talking about there's six good teams in the NFL we did analysis of who those six teams were it was Kansas City Buffalo originally Baltimore changed to Cincinnati once Lamar Jackson got hurt Kansas City Buffalo Cincinnati Philadelphia Dallas and San Francisco we went into the um, the data from uh, ProFootballReference.com that ranked what the point spreads would be for every team on a neutral site if they played a playoff game. And there were six teams... Well, first of all, there were only 11 teams that were favored, and there were only six teams that would have been favored by more than three points against a league average opponent on a neutral field. Those six teams at the end of the year were... San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. And so going into the wild card weekend, like we talked about with the Jaguars on Wired Up, I was like, wow, this is a really great job by the Jaguars. If you'd have told me at the start of the year that they beat out the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens of Lamar Jackson, the New England Patriots, the Chargers of Justin Herbert, the Broncos who traded for Russell Wilson, the Raiders who traded for Devontae Adams and signed Chandler Jones, the Dolphins who traded for Tariq Hill, 
and brought in Teron Armstead, and by the way, Tua had a top five season in QBR. If you're telling me that all of those teams, even the Titans and Colts, we could even throw the Titans and Colts into this mix. If you would have told me that the Jacksonville Jaguars would have gotten the number one, the, the last playoff spot in the AFC at the start of the year, would have been amazed. This is beyond expectations for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And on the flip side, in the NFC, I could say the same thing. If you told me at the start of the year that the 4-13 and New York Giants, who I said in week six of last year should just dump Daniel Jones, dump Joe Judge, dump Dave Gettleman, it's over, you blew it, you gotta start a rebuild. If you would have told me that New York Giants team running back with almost the same roster as last year, I mean, they added Isaiah Hodgins and traded away Kadarius Toney, altogether not that different of a roster year over year. If you told me that that New York Giants team would get the last playoff spot in the NFC over at the start of the season, well, first of all, you would have had to tell me that the Eagles would be one of the three best teams in the NFL, because I still thought Dallas was going to win the NFC East. But point being, if you told me that Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia were going to be the three best teams in the NFC, and then you needed one more spot to fill the divisional weekend, if you'd have told me that the Giants beat out Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers of Aaron Rodgers, the Minnesota Vikings of Kirk Cousins, the Arizona Cardinals of Kyler Murray, the Los Angeles Rams who just won the goddamn Super Bowl last year. If you would have told me that they beat out all of those teams for the last spot, I could even throw in the the New Orleans Saints if we really want to get spicy here. If you'd have told me that over Tampa Bay, over Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Super Bowl champion Rams, and the New Orleans Saints, if you'd have told me that the Giants beat out all of those teams for the last spot in the divisional playoff, I would have been amazed, amazed at the start of the season to know the Giants got to that place and that they did it by looking respectable on offense. Because remember, that offense in 2021, the last year of Joe Judge, and I I can't remember if it was Jason Garrett or Freddie Kitchens, but point being, that offense, their top four leading receivers, had fewer yards of offense than Jamar Chase. That's a real thing that happened last year to the New York Giants. Their top four leading receivers combined had fewer yards of offense than Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase. Like, the Giants were so bad, and for their offense to look competent this year, again, Daniel Jones put up a league average passer rating plus a career high in rushing yards and has a signature playoff win against the Vikings. Massive, massive success for this season. That doesn't mean you're going to have a chance to beat the Philadelphia Eagles because that defense is still not very good, and the Philadelphia Eagles offense is really freaking good coming off a bye week with three offense, or well, two Hall of Fame offensive linemen, two All-Pro offensive linemen, and Brandon Brooks, who's not going to make the Hall of Fame but has a really great career. You're telling me that offensive line with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott. By the way, this is Boston Scott's fourth year with the Eagles. That was three whole years ago that Boston Scott was starting that playoff game where Marshawn Lynch was coming out of retirement to play running back for the Seahawks. Remember that playoff game all those years ago when Carson Wentz got concussed and it was, uh, I think it was Josh McCown and Boston Scott playing a playoff game for the Eagles because the Cowboys choked the division that year. Remember that? That was that was like three years ago. So anyways, Boston Scott, who had a touchdown, Miles Sanders, who had a touchdown, and of course, Jalen Hurts, who is a top five quarterback somehow. He's a tier three, tier two, whatever you want to point to a Jalen Hurts. He's a stud quarterback and they just might make the Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts, the man who I keep saying over and over is just going to have the most amazing 30 for 30 of all time. Like Just that story of benched in the national championship game for Alabama after going 26-2 and as the starter, staying at Alabama as a backup, coming back in the SEC championship game the next year for an injured Tua and leading a 14-point fourth quarter comeback against the same Georgia team you got benched against last year. To then go to Oklahoma, finish second in the Heisman Trophy, only behind Joe Burrow. Then to go to the NFL, replace both Carson Wentz and Nick Foles in Philadelphia. To now being MVP who might win his own Super Bowl. MVP candidate who might win his own Super Bowl in Philadelphia is just... 
it's just ridiculous, the Jalen Hurts story. But anyways, the, there's not really a whole lot of analysis to give you from the game. What happened was A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith were really good against... I don't even know who the corners on the Giants are. And when they got down 14 nothing, Daniel Jones threw a stupid interception to James Bradbury. It wasn't just an interception. It was a stupid-ass interception, too. So there's not too much deep intellectual analysis I can give from this game. The Eagles whooped that ass. I told you the Eagles were going to whoop that ass. And so I'm more interested in laughing at me being loud right about the Philadelphia Eagles whooping that ass of the New York Giants. Because for all the New York Giants talk, and this is going to transition into a, a, a mini eulogy for the New York Giants, I will actually spend time talking about the New York Giants this offseason because I think they're in a really interesting situation from like a league vantage standpoint. And I know I'm the guy who used to say the Giants, welcome to another decade of mediocrity, and they already won a playoff game, which is better than I thought they would do the entire rest of this decade. I legitimately thought the Giants were not going to win a playoff game this entire decade, and they won a playoff game in the first year, uh, or I guess the second year after I welcomed the Giants to a new decade of mediocrity. The second year after welcoming the Giants to a second decade of mediocrity, they won a playoff game. So good job, New York Giants. Um, The Giants are a really interesting team going forward. And for all of the bluster about Brian Dayball winning coach of the year and transforming Daniel Jones's career and Saquon Barkley coming back healthy and the offense looking competent in a season where not a lot of NFL offenses looked competent. I mean, like I said, Daniel Jones finished 12th in passer rating and he hit the league average. Like the league average passer rating is what Daniel Jones put up at 92.1 to end the season. Now, granted, Daniel Jones's game goes beyond passer rating because of his running ability. Because run, this is the same thing with Lamar Jackson. Passer rating doesn't tell the whole story with Lamar Jackson, doesn't tell the whole story with Jalen Hurts, doesn't tell the whole story with Justin Fields, and it doesn't tell the whole story with Daniel Jones because of how much of a focal point of their teams the running game is. I mean, we saw in the Vikings game, Daniel Jones was the number one running back for the New York Giants. On a team that has Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones was the number one running back in their playoff game. They kind of went away from that against the Eagles just because it wasn't really working and they were already down 21-0 so they kind of had to throw the ball all over the yard. But the point still being like the New York Giants built an offense with two running backs and one of the running backs also happens to be the quarterback of the team. And I think that's super interesting in trying to value where Daniel Jones comes into the picture. Because we know Daniel Jones is not a good passer. We, we have enough circumstantial evidence. This was the best season of Daniel Jones's career, passing. And he was a league average quarterback in terms of passer rating. The, the league average is between 91.5 and 92.5, depending on data across you know all these years somewhere between 91 and 92 is the league average for about the last 25 years Daniel Jones was 92.1 this year so Daniel Jones finished with exactly a league average passer rating it was the best year of his career by not by far but by a significant amount so we know what Daniel Jones is as a passer and we know what he is in the running game And the New York Giants are in purgatory now with what to do there. And it'll be interesting to watch that develop because I'm interested to see who's going to be bidding against the New York Giants once we get to free agency. The broader picture I wanted to talk about, and we can talk about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley later and actually talk about the Giants because now I'm actually, after a year of saying I will not watch the New York Giants, seeing them make it to the second round of the playoffs and watching two of their playoff games is actually getting me curious about the New York Giants, and I'm breaking the mold that I used to have about just dismissing the New York Giants and judging the New York Giants for being Dave Gettleman's tire fire of an organization. I'm actually curious about the New York Giants, and we can talk about them more once the season ends. But what's interesting from this vantage point is for all of the bluster about Dayball and Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and building an average offense with the same pieces that last year were the 31st ranked offense in the NFL, adding in Saquon Barkley because uh, and adding in Isaiah Hodgins but subtracting Kadarius Toney. But the point being, they go from 31st to 12th and the only real acquisition they added was Saquon Barkley back into the lineup, which is a big deal. It's just I don't think enough to jump from 31 to 12. I don't think Saquon Barkley alone 
is that special of a running back. Oh, Saquon Barkley's a very, very excellent running back, and if you take away the one long carry he had against the Eagles, it was a bleak performance for Saquon. It was 22 yards on eight carries. That's uh, less than three yards per carry, but he had the one big run that set up the touchdown that uh, only made them lose 38-7. to But basically, Saquon Barkley is a very good running back who you add into that roster, and with what they did schematically with similar pieces to last year, were able to build the 12th-ranked offense in the NFL, and that 12th-ranked offense was good enough to win a playoff game when Daniel Jones has the game of his life against the Minnesota Vikings. So for all the bluster about this team, they still finished the season 4-7-1. and And you remember early in the season when they were down 20 points against the, the Packers in London, and they came back to win. And that one was more the Viking, or sorry, the Packers messing up than it was the Giants doing things right. The Packers had a 95% win probability in that game. And they were down 20 to 10 against Baltimore in, I believe, week four or five or six, one of those weeks. And Lamar Jackson threw an interception that set them up for an immediate touchdown, and then he fumbled at his own 20-yard line, which set them up for an immediate touchdown. So the defense opportunistically won them a couple games earlier in the season. And so what I was interested in watching the New York Giants is you take those two fluky comeback wins that most of the time turn into losses. And I was saying at the start of the year when the Giants were 5-1 and one, and the the Ravens were three and three. The Ravens are a five and one team. The Giants are a three and three team when you talk about how the actual performances weigh out. So if you take those two performances and flip the results to what the most probable outcome was, there's a 92% chance that the Giants finish this season seven, nine, and one. And if you go into next year thinking the Giants are a 7-9-1 team instead of a 9-7-1 team that just won a playoff game, the outlook of the New York Giants changes just by changing the record of the team to the most probable outcome. So you're looking at a 7-win team on paper that now has major decisions to make it quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and defensive tackle. And I'm super, uh, Dexter Lawrence's contract is coming up for people who don't know what I mean by that. And so what's really, really interesting from the Giants standpoint is for all of the bluster, they finished the year on a four, seven and one stretch. And if you think about them as a four, seven and one team trying to build towards something, they're obviously prone for a regression next season. And if they regress and get bad luck in one possession games, it might look like what the Raiders looked like this year, where they had the momentum they made the wild card they traded for Devonte adams they signed chandler jones they traded yannick Ngakwe for rock Sin, and they not only like fell backwards they fell ass backwards into six and eleven or seven and ten i think it was six and eleven for the raiders but that but the raiders weren't a six and eleven team this year they blew so many big leads that even if you average out to they win half of those games, they still go 8-9. and nine. And they're in that group, you know, I think there's 15 teams this year that are between 7-10 and 10 and 8-9. and nine. So they're in that mush of the middle, but instead they go 6-11. and Because instead of the good luck they had in one possession games last year, they had incredibly bad luck. So that's on the table for the New York Giants. The New York Giants, we look up next year... After they give Daniel Jones an extension, they lose a couple of those coin toss one possession games because remember we assume that one possession games in the last two minutes are basically flip a coin. If you play that game 10 times, the teams are going to win five and five for the most part. Or if you play a thousand games, the teams are going to win close to 500-500. So probability-wise, if you're looking at a seven-win team on paper that's going to go into the offseason and make big acquisitions, maybe they can make the step up, but it's not going to get them back to, we are now as good as the Eagles. We are as good as the Giants, or we are as good as the 49ers. It's not going to be that. It's also possibly going to be, we are going to finish last place in that division next year. That's a real possibility for the New York Giants. And in the more sustainable option would be to stick to the plan. I, I know people cite the fact that when Sean McDermott first arrived in Buffalo in 2017, 
They made a surprise run to the playoff with Tyrod Taylor. The Andy Dalton play got them in as the sixth seed. That was the year that they benched Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman, and I still can't really convince myself that Sean McDermott is a genius coach because he chose Nathan Peterman multiple times to play quarterback. So Buffalo, after making the playoff with Tyrod Taylor, traded Tyrod to the Cleveland Browns, traded Cordy Glenn to the Bengals, and then traded up with draft picks in order to get Josh Allen. They stuck to the plan of we we know where we are. We can evaluate where we are realistically while also acknowledging this was a very fun, unexpected season. And Dayball might win coach of the year, which has no merit at all. There's just I've heard 12 different coaches get the argument for coach of the year. None of them are somehow Andy Reid. So, you know, coach of the year is just a very silly award. And as much as Dayball gets the, the support of that and the bluster that the Giants have built, 4-7-1 and one to end the season. And by the way, a true 4-7-1. and one. There wasn't like, a oh, they were up 21 points and they blew a lead. Or they were down 21 points and they came back to win. Like a legitimate 4-7-1 and one to end the season is what you're carrying into the offseason. And if you f- remember early in the season when they had two results where they had a, a 95% chance of losing, you don't look at the Giants with the same level of optimism and you don't look at the Giants of something that's worth keeping together long term. If Daniel Jones gets $30 million a year for two years, that's a that's an easy bet to make because I'm sure they'll structure the contract in a way where they can get out of it after one season. They don't have to worry. They just don't want to make the mistake that will come to define the Dayball tenure. Dayball didn't choose Daniel Jones. He kind of chose Saquon Barkley, but they were already iffy on how he was going to be mixed into that team. Dayball didn't choose those pieces. So if you're the new general manager, whose name I forgot but came over from Buffalo, and if you're the Mara family who, again, fired Ben McAdoo for being right about Geno Smith being better than Eli Manning, if you are the Mara family, if you are the general manager, don't force Dayball into this situation unless Dayball wants it to be that way. And if Dayball wants it to be this way, man, you should have held out for a better job, my man. <laughs> you should if you were if you were like the genius who fixed Josh Allen and you were like, I will take the New York Giants job, man, you should have held out for a better coaching job, Brian Dayball. If you actively want Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley to be your team, man, you should have held out for a better coaching job. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and I mean, it's early in the week, obviously, but 70% of the, the bets against the spread are Giants plus seven and a half. So they are certainly hedging at this point on Philadelphia. I, I am uh, with you on Philadelphia. I, I said this on I said this on Monday. I think Philadelphia is going to score 40 points in that game. And 40 points in a playoff game is really hard to pull off. I just... I see no way the Giants are going to be able to stop that offense moving up and down the field on them over and over and over again. 